Welcome back to Neighboring, a podcast where we ask questions. What does it mean to be a good neighbor? Today we are joined by Tim Hallman. Tim has been a longtime friend of mine since we started NeighborLink uh, over a decade ago. He and I have uh, connected. Uh, he was a pastor at a church for a very long time. We're going to talk about that. And today he works for the local YMCA of Greater Fort Wayne and Christian Emphasis Director, and he'll talk a little bit about that. But Tim and I always have really great conversations about neighborhoods, neighborhood development. What does it mean to be a good neighbor really in that? More so than do we have any great strategy of how to figure that out? It's ultimately, how do we navigate this? How do we have conversations with people? How do we be the connectors and the motivators? And so today, uh, I wanted to kind of have a conversation with Tim on this and kind of let, let the world into some of our conversations that we've had. And... Uh, basically have a little processing session here. So welcome to the podcast, Tim. Well, thank you, Andrew. Glad to be here. Uh, introduce um, yourself. Give us a snapshot of what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we'll dive into some kind of history of how you got to where you're at. Sure. So uh, YMCA, Greater Fort Wayne. So that's, uh, we're in four counties, the YMCA. And so we have uh, about seven membership branches. And then we have a camp and we've got uh, youth services bureau. And we have um, child care services. So YMCA Greater Fort Wayne is a really big footprint in um, Allen County, Whitley County, Wells County, and then our camps up in LaGrange County. And so my role with the Christian Emphasis Director is it's the Young Men's Christian Association, so YMCA. And so most of us know the organization as the Y, yeah. but uh, our CEO, Marty Pasteur, he really wanted to find a way to re-engage in our history and our mission and think about how do we live out the C and the Y. And religion can be a tricky thing uh, in the public, and uh, spirituality is a really personal thing. And so part of my work is to help support, you know, Marty and uh, Chris Angeletta, our COO, as they lead the why and think about what is the role of spirit. Uh, That's part of our mission, to put Christian principles into practice through programs that build a healthy spirit, mind, and body for all. And so um, we just think about what's the role of the spirit. You know, the body gets a lot of attention, uh, the mind gets attention. Um, but not so sure what to do about the spirit, which kind of makes sense. I mean, what is a spirit, you know, it can be kind of hard to quantify. And so part of my work is just to help us think about that and, and try some things. And um, I get to bring my work as a pastor into that and um, help support program development, staff development, um, you know, just care for people in the community through the role in the Y. And um, it's been a very interesting job. It's a new job. So um, three years in April. Three years in April. Yeah. It goes by quick. It sure does. It so doesn't seem right. Walk through some of the maybe some of the practical sides of your job. We work a lot together. Um, you really brought NeighborLink along, and part of that discussion, uh, as Marty kind of got introduced to NeighborLink aside, and so we, it was a quick connection because we had some long-term relationship around service. Describe some of the things when it comes to incorporating spirit into the YMCA, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Describe a few of the things that uh, practically that you're you're involved in or trying to do. Yeah, well, it's interesting. When I was getting interviewed for the job, um, Marty mentioned you and that you guys had met earlier, and uh, he was really curious about NeighborLink and asked me if I'd ever heard of NeighborLink. So I was, this is great. They're bringing up NeighborLink in my job interview, and so I was glad that we had so many years of experience together. And and so his angle on doing Christian emphasis was really about volunteerism, really about serving. You know, so if we're going to talk about our faith. Uh, let's do it through our actions, since actions speak louder than words. And so his mandate was, you know, figure out how the why can work with NeighborLink and get 
thousands of members <laughs> engaged in neighborly. I think this, this is my new job. I mean, this is really exciting. And so it was a mix of trying to change our culture and trying to figure out how does a large organization like the Y, at the time there were over 80,000 members and you know, 15,000 program participants. I mean, where do you even start? You would think, oh, it'd be easy, just pick people and serve with you. But even in thinking about how the Y has done things and then what you're trying to do at NeighborLink, what we're trying to do, um, is really unique. And so it did take a while to figure out what is going on at the Y and what are the, the onboarding points. And so I remember my first project with NeighborLink was trying to help um, uh, a young family with a broken basement. And I don't know anything about basements and no volunteers came. But I ended up doing the project with the son of the man who requested the help and, and we did some stuff and I hope it made a difference. Sure. Uh, and it took a couple months before we got some volunteers. But once people started volunteering, they would say stuff like, um, I've always wanted to volunteer with NeighborLink, I just didn't know how. And so that struck me as a bit odd. Like, I think, well, I figured it out and I don't think of myself as yeah. that bright. But there was something about just people's perceptions about how to get involved and they needed someone to create that space to do that. And so we did a United Way Day of Caring and we picked some NeighborLink projects. Sure. Uh, we had a lot of staff and volunteers uh, help with cleaning up a park and help with um, cleaning up a backyard, which led to a new roof. And those kind of projects embody the kind of things we want to do and we made it easy for members to join in. And so really since then it's just getting the word out and having volunteers who've served once serve again yeah. and um, just trying to help more branches now figure out how to actually help their members get plugged in. This is uh, one of the one of the areas where we typically detour in some of our conversations. You you made a comment just a second ago about the idea of like interacting with individuals and, and then once you get to know them and they, they show up and they got involved, they're like, I always wanted to do that, but I didn't know how to go, and so mm -hmm. I just didn't. Mm -hmm. why, why do we do that? Because well, it, it's universal, I, mean, I think there's, yeah. I think we all can, but specifically around mm -hmm. volunteerism or engagement or trying new things that aren't mandated. Mm -hmm. Well, I think sometimes people uh, are afraid of change. I mean, I think there is that, at one level, um, they would like to do something different um, but they need someone to maybe give them permission uh, or they need someone to show them the way. And so there's some sense of validation that they're not going out all by themselves. They're not alone, too vulnerable in doing something new. And it's also, NeighborLink provides a way to serve that is unique. It's with a homeowner. Um, there's plenty of ways to volunteer where it's with a product or a material item and it's in a, maybe an industrial setting or a warehouse uh, or in a kitchen. Um, but NeighborLink um, provides a, a new way to connect with people. And that can be a little um, bit of a barrier because people are, I'm, I'm going to go to someone's house and help them. And I think they feel like maybe they need um, a third party person to broker that experience yeah. and, and be there with them, you know. And so um, that, that's been my take, is that people are really good-hearted and they want to serve, um, but they, they need someone to kind of open up that opportunity for them and be there with them and coach them through it. Because I've been in enough NeighborLink projects where um, sometimes the conversations get kind of heavy with a homeowner, or yeah. you realize there's many more needs that could be met, uh, or there's a sense of desperation in one more thing they need, and that is... Um, I'm unable to personally take care of it. And, and I feel pretty confident and well-resourced 
that I could I know I would know what to do with that. But I think for many people that they're new to this kind of experience, that would be really overwhelming. And I think they have a sense that um, people in a in a home that has a lot of needs, there's a little wariness. Uh, and so I think um, being with people on that journey and being attentive to where they're at is part of the pastoral skill that I bring in with that. What do you feel like is the role of like social influence in getting people to actually show up? And I guess by social influence, um, the role of asking, the difference between sending out a message or putting something on a bulletin board versus making direct connects and asks. Well, I got, um, I got hired in April and I did my first neighborhood project in, in July and that was kind of just a big email and you know no one responded and uh, and so then I had to figure out well where are pockets of people within this large organization and so at the same time just soliciting in general just to see who are the random people we'd meet and so um, as I learned more about the why I realized what I really need is less about me trying to recruit members for projects but um, and I met a lot of people that way and that's taken a life on their own for some of them. But I really want to see how I could connect with small communities in the branches because the branches want to form more smaller communities. And so part of that was finding who are, so who are the staff at a branch who they want to form small communities and they want to do stuff in the community. And I just needed to find a few of them yeah. and, and we could go. And we found those and I think um, that's allowed us to think about older adults, that's a community, or teens, that's another community, or uh, young moms, or uh, older men who are handy and, and they, they already have a way of getting together at the Y. And so finding you know, a staff person that they know and love and trust, and then that staff person wants to do more, coaching that person sure. um, has been really easy. I mean, it's not been difficult at all, it's been more just being patient and cultivating some of that yeah social trust. We've seen some of the impact of that in maybe maybe more unique ways than we I think probably originally imagined when we started working together on this and in terms of uh, seeing some of the staff the other staff of the YMCA really starting to be transformed by this experience and really taking ownership where I would say we probably started off with a deep desire to see a lot of members mobilized and that's still the case uh, but we, we've seen several of your staff members at various branches really begin to own it. Like they're, they're connecting to this type of thing in terms of their own leadership in their own community and, and recognizing that service engagement and connecting and mobilizing outside of those, their, their current walls is important. So it's been a, been a real unique and interesting thing. And I think that has a lot to do with you, know, you building relationships with mm -hmm. the people that you have direct connect with the most. I mean, part of my strategy has been, even for Christian Emphasis and volunteerism, is how do I connect our members and staff to organizations that I think really embody the Christian faith uh, in a really loving way. Um, and so knowing that there's many people that are part of the Y that uh, maybe aren't part of a church anymore or um, have wanted to be connected to spiritual people but don't have a forum for that, or even people that are maybe part of a church and they're not really engaging in service uh, if I can create opportunities for them to meet, you know, organizations like yours, I feel like that's a real win because I know they'll have a great experience with you. And then my goal is they don't need me anymore to connect them to those organizations or those serving opportunities. That that organization can have its own magnetic pull yeah. on people. And and also for your organization, you really center it on love. 
And that's what I want volunteerism to be about at the Y. Um, I think sometimes volunteerism can be a principle and people can want to volunteer because it's a good thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. There's, you know, and there's lots of good benefits to that, but uh, I think that only gets people so far. And I think what we really want to see out of volunteerism is transformation. And so that means I have to help people connect to what's something they care about in the community that really breaks their heart. And maybe you don't start there, but that's where I think it needs to go. And I think we've had some staff uh, and members in our Y who their hearts had been broken. They just didn't know what to do sure. or what's a way to engage and how can their Y work intersect with that. And um, you guys get that. And I, that means a lot. Well, good. I feel like we just had a great little commercial about the YMCA and everything. <laughs> I hope so. Relationship. That's <laughs> it's so <good>. easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, I want to get back, I want to get to some of your, your history and some of our history in this relationship. And for some context, uh, Neighborlink started 15 years ago, really by a group of individuals that were part of a church trying to put their faith into action, trying to love uh, through tangible ways with some of the most vulnerable, essentially trying to see their, their church connect with the vulnerable neighbors in and around them and in our community, and that progressed to the formation of NeighborLink. And since day one and still today, we have a strong desire to help churches throughout any, any community, specifically Fort Wayne, reconnect to their community. They, we have this great commission to go and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be outwardly mobile, to love the vulnerable, to do all of those types of things. But 11 years ago, when I was starting at NeighborLink, and really spending a lot of time with a variety of churches throughout our community. That was a difficult, difficult on-ramp. Functionally, and there's lots of reasons why churches don't mobilize and they're certainly not engaged missionally, locally. But somewhere along the line, you and I met, mm -hmm. made a collegial you know, connection. We went to the same university, but we hit it off. But I think we hit it off primarily because we were asking a lot of the same questions. Like, what is the role and the responsibility of the local church to be aware and to be a neighbor where they're physically planted like yeah. what does it mean to be a neighbor as a church yes. yeah. so go back with me and i'd love for us to just spend some time talking about like your journey as a pastor at that time so tell us a little bit more about what you did before mm -hmm. the why and really what you did um what you were trying to do for the, like the 10 years really leading in that mm -hmm. at least we've been connected yeah you bet uh, so graduate of Huntington uh, College, Huntington University, and I went from, I was part of a small church plant, and um, I was trying to do new and innovative things to reach people in new and innovative ways, and I, I really liked that as a church, and thinking about how to connect with people. Uh, and then from there, uh, was part of a, a large suburban church and did an internship, and while there, um, an opportunity to restart a neighborhood church came up. And that really appealed to me, and there was a lot I liked about that. I grew up in small towns that were surrounded by homes and um, where Anchor Community Church was located was a lot like the small, I mean, it was 20 times bigger, but it was that same kind of feel. Sure. And I wanted to be in a church that was around people. Um, sometimes a suburban church doesn't always feel like it's around people. Mm -hmm. There's just something about the geographic layout. Sure. There's a, a sense of isolation there. And so I liked the appeal of the church. So when we started it, we um, had an attractional model where we were really trying to draw people to the church for our services, worship services, preaching, kids program, music. And uh, we um, gave that a good run, and we started in 1998. But um, probably by 2003, 2004, I was just starting to get the sense that 
place matters in a way I just never mm-hmm. realized before. It pl- context and place had never really been a serious topic of conversation for what it means to be a church in a place. It was always about how to get people to that place, not about the people that are already in that place. And as those people were joining our church, other people were leaving. And so just trying to process how come when we reach people who can walk to our church, that was part of our original vision, we want to see people walking to our church. What does it take to invite people, compel people, to be the kind of church people want to walk to? So when they started walking to our church, then people started walking out. And as that happened, it was mind-blowing. I, I just didn't know what to do with that. And I had to read a lot of different books I'd never read before and just explore the Christian faith and other ways of pastoring. And it led me to you know, rethinking the great commandment. What does it mean to love the Lord your God and to love your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean for a church to love a neighborhood? And what, what does it even mean to love a neighbor? I mean, those are just really new ideas. I, I really like the idea of loving your neighbor, but even my own context was, it got reduced to love others. And while technically loving your neighbor is loving others, and loving others is still true, it's still not the same as what does it mean to love your neighbor? And I did not live next to the church, so I lived in the suburbs and I ministered in that neighborhood. And so for me, that what that meant is, all right, so this is the way it is, uh, so how do I, love the people that live around the church and how do I help the people that are part of my church love the people around our church but ultimately how do I help the people that live in our neighborhood who go to our church help them love their own neighborhood and then if you're part of Anchor wherever you live what does it mean to love that neighborhood you know so where I lived I mean I made a point to get to know my neighbors and I'm helping shovel driveways and mow the yard and talk to them and spend time walking and and trying to be a part of that neighborhood. So I'm trying to have integrity there, but most of my energy was really trying to help the church be a good neighbor. So when we met, it was really an answer to prayer. I mean, it was a divine appointment that we connected and because we've been looking for what are ways to serve our neighborhood and we, we didn't know how to find that out other than people in our own church needing help, but then we couldn't always help them with the needs they had. Yeah. Uh, some of them were pretty complex. And so your organization really allowed us to serve people in our church that were from the neighborhood. I mean, serve anyone in our church, yeah. but to really be able to serve them in ways that were so helpful and tangible and practical, uh, and then a way to connect with their own neighbors. So then we could tell the people in our church, if you meet any of your neighbors and need anything done in their home, we can find a way to help them. I mean, they're just really empowering. And I think it really helped our members rethink about how to care for the people that they meet. Sometimes you avert your eyes to people in need, because you're afraid of what it'll mean for you and how it might complicate your life. And you maybe don't feel like you have margins or resources to do something. And I felt like, uh, as a pastor who didn't want to avert my eyes anymore, um, that when I I looked and really saw what was going on, I had a level of confidence that I had friends that could help us figure out a way to help. Couldn't always necessarily help completely with what the need was, but we could begin to help but it was really about love. It wasn't just about a solution. And, and that was really empowering as well. Yeah, so much in the, uh, seeing that is like, we often, or at least in conversations with other church leaders and, and talking about getting to know your neighbors in a way is like, if you can do not, if you can do anything, you can at least show up and get to know their name, hear them, hear them out, like validate their need. You don't necessarily have to meet the need per se but at least connecting to them is a step in the right direction if you're truly concerned. To go back, I'm curious, what were, and, and you can be 
be general if you want. What were some of the reasons as the church started reflecting the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that some of the some of the folks that weren't part of the neighborhood and began to to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What are some of the general? And we hear that a lot mm-hmm. uh, from a variety of churches. What are some of the general reasons or some of the reasons you experienced mm-hmm. uh, of people want of leaving? Like why leave? Sure. Um, It was really painful because a lot of them were our friends. Um, And some of it was they didn't feel safe. So when people from my neighborhood would would join our church, uh, some of them, if I'm honest, um, didn't look like the average church person. Um, And and so we were trying to welcome people as they were, and so people came as they were. And so um, they sometimes gave off vibes. You just wondered, are, are my kids safe around them? Now, our kids were safe around them, but they, they just looked maybe unsafe. Yeah. And, and we had some specific uh, people that from the neighborhood who were part of our church who um, they were kind of tough to look at. You know, you just made you wonder what's going on with them. And so for me... I was so thankful they were there because I was so thankful we were the kind of church that men and women who would have no other place to worship at, they feel really safe at our church. So at the moment, I'm feeling most um, thankful that the least of these are welcome to be ushers in our church, to be greeters at our church. At the same time, for others, was too big of a bridge to cross and it was too far out of the comfort zone and so in reflecting back um, there was a lot of me and what I was hoping to achieve through ministering that shaped how and what we did and it shaped how I perceived other people perceiving it mm-hmm. as opposed to understanding yeah I'm pushing the boundaries here yeah. and I need to be attentive to how I can bring people along. And so looking back, I think um, I didn't do enough to help people on that journey who didn't have the same motivations as me. I mean, I had my own motivations for why I felt so strongly about it. And that's fine, but um, I, I could have led the rest of the church. I mean, looking back, I mean, at the time, I, I was making this up as we go along. But I, I think that is something that churches face um, if, if you want the least of these to be active members of your congregation, it does disrupt um, your notions of who is a leader, uh, who is a mature disciple. Can yeah. you be poor and still be mature in Christ? Yeah. Um, can you have, um, can you be heavily medicated and, and still be a mentor to others? Could you teach children and, and still be struggling with some you know, personal health issues? Yeah, I mean, just uh, those are real struggles. And so at one level, I see it like a band of misfits. Like, this is great. (laughs) We are doing ministry as misfits, and we're serving, and they're helping them serve their neighbors. At the same time, um, we had a lot of other people that were struggling, and a lot of them made beautiful steps forward with me and even more than me. Yeah. Well, it's just complicated. I mean... The more you dive into the Gospels in the New Testament and learn what it means to be a disciple, the more uh, complicated it gets and the more messy and really the more we transform and the situations that we get pulled into and invited into or felt led into 
are the are become more uncomfortable, and so uh, it's just a reality. I was curious. One of the things that I noticed early on is you really took this journey as a leader into the community, and you uh, started making inroads and being a connector in the community. Uh, you started really getting to know the neighborhood association. You started showing up. You started participating. And one of the the tactics that I, or the ways that you did that, that I saw that was really interesting, uh, was you rarely was the person wanting to take like direct leadership, mm-hmm. and more of saying I can be the connector and the convener, mm-hmm. and I'll be the voice when no one else wants to, mm-hmm. but my goal isn't to take over the neighborhood association is is to be some sort of glue yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you reflect on that and what sort of impact that made over the course of the years that you did it because, and yeah, some of the things you saw. Yeah, well, like I said, since I um, am pastoring Anchor for almost 18 years and not living in the neighborhood uh, and realizing I really wanted to, to raise up leaders from the neighborhood, um, that meant that I had to see myself as a servant to them and, and try and see, you know, what do I bring with me as Tim what I bring with me with my education, my employment opportunities, um, having lived in Canada, you know, just whatever I thought was a real asset, how do I recognize that and bring that with me and then be attentive to where they're at and what are they saying they aspire to achieve or do for this place they love and then, you know, just being with them to figure out and what do they see in me that they think could make a difference. And so that posture really helped me. So I felt like I could, at one level, how how can I as an outsider help you as an insider? Mm. And then I would tell, have them tell me what they thought they needed and then I could decide whether I could do that or not. Sure. Whether I felt like I had the time to do that, energy to do that, or ability to do that. And that really worked. And so, um, so whether they're people of high capacity in the neighborhood who um, sometimes just kind of needed me sporadically, then that was fine. For people that uh, needed a lot from me, then I, I was attentive to that. And so when we were working with the Neighborhood Association, you know, I'd regularly tell them, you know, like, look, I, I, mean, I don't even live here. Why are you having me, you know, speak for you? And, and they would say, well, that's, that's what we want you to do. And, and I, no, that's fine. I will do whatever you want me to do. And I think it, it both helped us see each other as equals because that can be the tendency of an outsider to think as an outsider I'm maybe a little bit better. But sometimes if you're an insider, you can feel like, oh, no, I'm better. And that really allowed us to have this equal space together of really more on um, what are the talents we see each other and really affirming uh, each other to, you know, you do this and you do this and we do this together, but also having this big goal of others. And that was something we told ourselves all the time is this isn't even about us. Like, yes, some of us will benefit from this change, but if we were only doing it for us, the work that went into this work, it wouldn't be enough just to do it for us. You know, when, when we're trying to get new sewers or a new park yeah. or sidewalks or streets or uh, police presence or whatever else we were trying to, to work for, we we always kept on sharing stories with each other of the neighbors we would meet who would tell us, you know, of of a problem or a crisis that that, that neighbor didn't know what to do about. But we did. And so that's what we kept motivating us to serve together is how do we help more of these neighbors and how do we make it about the neighborhood and and um, that was really new for me. I mean, I just had never thought about sharing leadership or power like that. And uh, it's changed how I lead now. Yeah, you really just kind of kept showing up yeah. and kept serving. That's a good, good summary of that. 
I think it's important to really note about this particular neighborhood. Uh, in, in Fort Wayne, it was, it's not the most wealthiest. It has little to no like historic, like housing, like traditional historic neighborhoods that have grand homes or anything like that. It's a, it, it has been, it's always been probably more of a working class kind of neighborhood, smaller homes. But it had one of the greatest like collaborations, uh, more so than a lot of other neighborhoods. Not only did it seem like the neighborhood leaders, neighborhood associations somewhat kind of take ownership and be connected, uh, you were part of um, a community of churches. Describe, and this doesn't happen that often. If you can go in other neighborhoods in Fort Wayne and there, there aren't a network of churches that are meeting regularly, with the idea of sharing and saying that we're better together and truly like having practical things that play that out. Curious if you would share some of about that because some of the struggles of that community and why it developed and maybe some of the wins. I, uh, so in 2003, I'd been at the church for um, about five, five years and I decided to go back to seminary uh, for a variety of reasons, and so one of the classes I took was in uh, urban missiology, being a missionary in an urban setting. And so one of the assignments was, um, you know, do a, a driving tour of your neighborhood and just write down what you see. Such a simple act, but it was really profound. The second was reach out to all the churches and see who's willing to work together. So I wrote a letter and sent that out to about 20 churches in the 46808 zip code, and I had a couple of them write back. <laughs> And, and one of them at the Mennonite church said, I was just getting ready to write you. I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying we should do something together. I never met him before. Now, the other churches, other pastors have been in that community for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I'd been there for five years at that point, maybe six or seven years, and no one had ever reached out to me as the new pastor, the new guy, yeah. to say, hey, welcome, and here's what we're doing. And there was stuff that some of those churches had been doing together. And I was just amazed by that, and I thought, well... I guess after this many years, I guess I'm a veteran here. I'm not going to do that to anyone else that new coming in that you know that wants it. And so we uh, we each did a small VBS, and so we thought, what if we did a VBS together? And uh, everyone loved. The, we had a church that loved the ideas. We had five churches right away that did a VBS together. We did that for a number of years, but we really wanted to use that as a platform. Well, what else can we do together? And there had been uh, um, uh, a Good Friday service, a community Good Friday service, that had been going on for a long time. And so we were able to leverage that. Well, some churches already have a long history together. So how do I get in on that? And then what else can we do? Yeah. And um, that led to a meeting with Judge Charlie Pratt and said, well, we have these churches that are meeting together. If we were meeting together and we have people that you work with in your family court that are in our neighborhood who go to our church, is there something we could do that would be helpful to you yeah. as a judge in serving these families? And so that led to then doing a series of meetings over Lent. We spent five Sundays over Lent meeting at five different churches and just learning about our neighborhood and what could we do together. And then, um, you know, Judge Charlie Press, I called the schools and see what they need. So we called the school and said, what do you need? And we thought they might need supplies and they said, no, we need mentors. So some of us started, you know, joined Big Brothers Big Sisters and started serving as a, a lunch buddy. And so it just led to that kind of, it wasn't how do we meet as churches to help each, our churches grow. It was how do we meet as churches to help love our neighbors, and it worked. I mean, the churches were hungry to do that, and so out of the 20 churches, um, at one point we had over half of them meeting in some way with us in a variety of events. 
Um, there's about five or six churches that are still meeting regularly to do a NeighborLink project together, and they do a Good Friday service together, uh, a Labor Day Sunday service that you spoke at uh, one time, and uh, they still do uh, some other stuff throughout the year. But it's that camaraderie about being in a place and recognizing they're part of a place and um, there's too much work to do alone. And so they really resonated with me and the pastors there, they were hungry for it too. But again, you know, somebody needed to kind of make space for that. And I was, there's plenty of pastors that were smarter than me, that they were better leaders than me. And over the years we've had many pastors come and go. I mean, I was there for 18 years, so I saw a lot of pastors come and go. And there were some pastors that got it immediately and they added immediate contribution. And other pastors, it was really new for them. And they, they kind of struggled with how do, how do they make this work and, and how do they explain it to their churches. But um, it, we continue, it, it was just a big idea for churches to think about being part of a neighborhood and, and loving that neighborhood. But to commit all those years to show up in the same room and have conversations and have, have perfect examples of how uh, collaboration can work in terms of just we're better connected yeah. and doing some things together than not doing anything at all yeah. and not knowing each other. Yeah. You know, as a leader, I'm curious from you and like you're you're a connector um, and an influencer, and curious to kind of wrap up this particular episode. What is it? What does it look like as a leader that's trying to be intentional both one trying to be a neighbor but trying to help others with this idea of moving on this kind of faith journey mm -hmm. of of action or putting your faith into action in a, in, in a way so what is it what does it mean what's your encouragement mm -hmm. of trying to help young churches any church or individuals that are trying to figure out what does it mean to be a good neighbor I mean, I, the first word that comes to mind is I, I think people want to love and be loved. And so, um, and, and, and they want to have a real experience with that. And as Christians, we believe that Christ embodies that. And the real transformative power for a person, for a church, for a neighborhood is Christ himself. I mean, I, I believe that Christ is already ahead of us. He's already there in the neighborhoods working in people's lives. And at one level, he's, he's trying to invite churches to join him in the communities where he's already at. Uh, to join them in that work. And so that's that's a really powerful image for me in both why I do what I do, that, that I'll find Christ out there. Um, yeah, I believe Christ is in my heart, but uh, I believe that there's um, a union with Christ that happens when we're out there. And I think churches get their energy from being focused on Christ. And when they get focused on the transformative love of Christ and that Christ is a man of sorrows. And his life is marked by suffering, and there's no joy with Christ without suffering. And I think when you be when you can be a church that suffers with people, yeah. Uh, I think neighborhoods have suffered, and the churches have been distant. And I think people know that. And churches aren't in a neighborhood without context. People have opinions about churches. They they don't forget. I mean, even if you're new to a church, you may not realize. What that church means, I had to figure that out. What does it mean to be part of Anchor Community Church on the corner of Third and Schilling? And what what do people think about what this place has been for the last, at that point, uh, sixty years? It wasn't good, and and so we had to figure out what to do about that. And I don't want to go on a marketing campaign. <laughs> I yeah, want to love sure. people, and that means saying I'm sorry. And sometimes 
churches can apologize on behalf of the rest of Christendom and are, are out of an act of love. And so when I think of neighboring, I think that is part of how do I see Christ in that neighbor? What is Christ doing there? And even with what I see, what is he inviting me to do? Maybe it's to be a really good listener. Uh, maybe it's to just be ready for when they make an ask for something or uh, just to laugh with them or just to be a safe person for them. I mean, it's just kind of really up to that person, but that takes time and attention. Yeah. Tim, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on this episode. Thanks for being a friend and collaborator in this type of work. Um, I know it helps, helps me keep, keep going. So thanks for that. Hopefully we can do another episode here. Keep this conversation going. I look forward to it. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in to this episode of Neighboring with Tim Holman. The idea of trying to be present and being a safe place for for our neighbors is an important thing that I'll take away and, and think more about on this episode. So thanks for tuning in.